Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to mystory@toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. I eat. Anybody else eat? Like I've been eating, man, most of my life. And, uh, and I'm pretty good at it, actually. And I was thinking about this. You ever go to like a, a, a buffet or maybe you go to like a, an event like Thanksgiving or a big family event or something like that and you look and there's a spread and you go, oh man, that stuff looks good. And you just grab your plate and you just start putting stuff on there. Do you know what I'm talking about? You don't even think about it. You're just like, oh, that's good. Oh, that's good. That's good. Oh, I need that. I want that. And then you get back to your table and you like look at that plate and you're like, what in the world? You're like, I got macaroni and cheese next to spaghetti, fried chicken, and a piece of apple pie. What is this? You know, just kind of all gets there and you look at it. And sometimes you go, man, that's probably a little too much. I might have had a little too much there. This morning, I took a good look at this message, and I said, this might be a little too much, right? <laughs> like, it's, it's kind of a bit of a buffet today. We're going to be in several different places. But I, I don't say that apologetically, because I, th- I think what we're going to look at from God's word today is important. I don't think, I know. And that God wants to use his word to help us today. We're going to be looking at a, at a really interesting story in Acts chapter 5. To start, let's get a little groundwork done, and let's go back to Acts chapter 4, verse 32. Just like he does at the end of, of uh, chapter 2 of Acts, Luke gives a summary statement at the end of chapter 4 of Acts, and he says this in verse 32. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own. But they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. Now, very similar to the end of Acts chapter 2, this passage, and we, we talked about that back in July. We did a series of messages called Connect, Grow, Serve, talked about our vision as a church, and one week we, we talked about generosity. If you weren't here, I'd encourage you to go back, and you can get that message online. You can watch or listen to it, and here's, here's what we found, and this is kind of important what we're going to look at today. Generosity is at the center of the Christian life. Just think about that for a moment. When you see God's spirit at work in the church, one of the things that happens is people begin to care for one another. They begin to give to one another. And generosity is at the center of the Christian life. Luke has said this as he's writing Acts in Acts chapter 2. He reinforces this in Acts chapter 4. And now he wants to give you a good example of this. So let's go to verse 36. It says, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Remember that name Barnabas. We're not going to do a deep dive into this now, but we will in the future. When we get to Acts chapter 9, when we get to Acts chapter 11, in fact, he becomes a a central figure in 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 the middle portion of the book of Acts. He's an important guy. In fact, Some people will claim that outside of Jesus, Barnabas is the most influential person in the New Testament. We'll get there later. But what you see here is he's given a nickname. His nickname is Son of Encouragement. Isn't that a cool name? His buddies were like, you know, we should call you something. What's one word that sums you up? Encouragement. I'd like to have a guy like Barnabas just follow me around. Anybody else? I mean, what a a cool way to be known by your character, 
by who you are. And he took this piece of land that he had and he sold it because there was a need. And then he gave the proceeds to the church. And it says there, it's interesting, it says that they took it and placed it at the apostles' feet. What that means is that they took and they gave it to the leaders of the church, not for them, but to them so that they could then use those resources to meet the needs, to help the church, to do what the Spirit led them and was necessary. Now, we get to this point, and we've, we've, we've seen another picture of what's going on in the church. We have a specific example in Barnabas, and now this, this story is about to take a really weird turn. We're going to look at the story of Ananias and Sapphira. If you're not familiar with this story, it's a pretty unique one in the New Testament. And as Barnabas is given as a good example, now, by contrast, which is actually a great way to teach, that you show the, the, the pro and the con, the good and the bad. Barnabas was the good example. Now we're going to get to Ananias and Sapphira, and we're going to see a different kind of example. Let's go here. Acts chapter 5, beginning with verse 1, just so you get a little background information. Ananias and Sapphira are both known in Scripture as liars. Liar, liar, right from the book of Proverbs. That's good. That's, that's great. Um, here's the deal. We're going to look at a story about lying. And as we do, I want to show you some truth. In fact, I want to give to you today as we go through this eight biblical truths from a story about lies. We're going to look at truth from the Bible as we go through the story about lies. Don't let that word eight scare you. We're going to move fast. You ready? Acts chapter 5, beginning with verse 1. Now, a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. See, this was happening in the church, and Barnabas did it, and so did Ananias and Sapphira. They also sold a piece of property. That verse begins with the word now. Some Bible translations will say but, and what it's saying here is we have Barnabas, but we also have Ananias and Sapphira. Ananias' name, if you go back to the root of what his name means, his name means God is gracious, which is pretty ironic if you think about what happens here. Because God is gracious to Ananias, and then Ananias tries to pull a fast one on God. His wife's name is Sapphira. Sapphira's name means beautiful. And what's interesting is if you look at the ancient literature, you'll see that when that name showed up, it was usually used, it was usually given in families to people who came from status or wealth. And so they probably had some resources. So when there was a need, there was the resource for them to be able to sell a piece of property. Why did they do this? Did they do it simply because it was the cool thing to do? A lot of people were doing it. Did they do it because they saw a need and wanted to help? Did they do it because they saw a need and wanted to help so that other people would think that they were great people? The truth is it could be a mixture of all those things, but their actions are going to betray their hearts. Let's go to verse 2, Acts chapter 5, verse 2. With his wife's full knowledge, that's important, we'll come back to that. With his wife's full knowledge, Ananias kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. He kept back part of the money for himself. Realize this, keeping the money for himself was not the sin. We'll see in just a moment, it was his money, he could... God was cool with him doing whatever he wanted with it. Keeping the money wasn't the sin. The sin was that he was deceitful about it, that he lied about it, that he took the money from the, from the sale of the property, kept part of it, then took what he was willing to give, 
gave it to the apostles, placed it at the apostles' feet, and then said this. We sold a piece of property. This is all the money that we got from this piece of property. We're giving it all to the church. Aren't we awesome people? When they had kept back some of it for themselves, the sin wasn't keeping the money. The sin was in the deceit. In fact, the word that's used there for this idea that he kept back from some for himself has this powerful meaning. It's used other places in scripture. It has this idea. When you keep something for oneself in a secret or dishonest way, when you keep something for yourself in a secret or dishonest way, it sounds sneaky, doesn't it? I got thinking about this, and, and this, this, something stirred up in my heart. I don't know if you call it a sin or a sense of conviction, but at my house, like if everybody's out in the, like the living room, like you're watching TV or you're hanging out, you're doing whatever, you can go in the kitchen, and if you open the, the pantry door, you can kind of hide behind the pantry door, and no one out in the living room can see what you're doing. And I will sometimes do this when there are Oreos in the house. And while everybody else is in the other room, I can, I can kind of get in the pantry and I can do a quick drive-by and snag a couple Oreos. They can't see me. They don't ever have to know. Here's the reason why. They don't have the self-control that I have. <laughs> right? If they knew I was having them, what kind of destruction would I bring to them? See, I have the control. I only need to eat eight, nine at a time. That's it. How many would they eat? Wouldn't be good for them. If you notice this, they've changed the package of Oreos. If you notice this, it's got that flipper thing on the top. Do you know what I'm talking about? used to be that you'd have to pull the, the tray out, get the cookies, crinkle, 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 and then, you know, you, you put a crinkle, 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 putting them back in. Now it's just whoosh, whoosh, like that, right? <laughs> so much easier. It's awesome. And so I can do this. So when I thought about this idea of being sneaky, doing something for yourself, that's what came to my mind. That's kind of what Ananias and Sapphira had done. Why? What was in their heart? Watch this. First biblical truth from a story about lies. Number one, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Now that this story happens to be about money, that scripture happens to be about money, but the principle goes deeper. When there is something that you love and you let that love control you, it will lead you to things where you should not go if it's the wrong kind of love. Paul says this, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it but if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Watch where he goes here now. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction for the love of money. He doesn't say money itself. He says that the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And some people, watch this last sentence here, some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Man, that last sentence could, could describe Ananias and Sapphira, couldn't it? There was something that this money motivated in their heart that wasn't healthy, and it led them to make a bad decision. Paul says that it's a temptation. It's a trick. He uses this word. He helps us to see that greed is a trap. And when you let your heart go places and love things that are beyond a place that's healthy and biblical. It'll lead you in a direction that you do not want to go. How does he say this? It will, it will plunge you into ruin and destruction. Jesus says it this way, Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. No one can serve two masters, 
Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. It's a matter of do the things that you love pull you away from the things that are best? There is a question, a deep theological pondering question that's being asked all over our society today. Are you ready for it? What's in your wallet? Have you heard it? Think about it. If your heart is in your wallet, then your heart is in the wrong place, and it will lead you to destruction. Because if that's what you love, your love is misplaced. And know this, affection determines action. The things that you have affection for are going to affect the things that you do. Your affection determines action. What you love will influence you in what you do and who you will become. And this had a deep effect on Ananias and Sapphira. Let's go back to the story, verse 3. Acts chapter 5, verse 3. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you've lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? First question, how did Peter know this? Like Ananias comes in, gives the money. Peter, here's the money. We sold the land. This is all the money we got for the land. And somehow Peter knew that that claim was bogus. Do you think he was friends with the realtor? Like, do you think he'd read the real estate reports and the blade? Was that, you know, was that what happened? Or did the Holy Spirit just speak to his heart about it? Truth is, it could have been a whole combination of things. We don't really know. Here's what we do know, that in that moment, God gave Peter supernatural knowledge and how to respond, and it led to a confrontation directed by the Holy Spirit. Spirit, The Spirit led Peter to speak right to Ananias. Ananias wanted to appear more holy than what he really was, and Peter had to prove that this was a scam. And the language he uses here, man, it's harsh. It's brutal. Sometimes the truth hurts. He says, Ananias, Satan has filled your heart. Look, instead of the the purity of what the Holy Spirit would want to put there, Ananias, you've allowed the enemy of your soul to fill your mind, to fill your thoughts, to fill your actions. He's filled your heart with something that is destructive, which leads to the, the second thing I want you to see. Number two, biblical truth from a story about lies, guard your heart. Whatever happened to Ananias, it started in his heart. And because he wasn't cautious, because he didn't guard it, there was something there that was so unhealthy. Scripture says this over and over again, probably most clearly in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, where it says, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Friends, there's times when you and I have to take a good look at our hearts and say, what is going on inside of us? What are we allowing to fill us? What are we allowing to happen and take place in our lives? Because if we're not careful, it will lead to a place of destruction in us. What happens in our hearts will lead everything else that comes in our lives. Think about this. Acts chapter 1, Jesus promises the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2, the Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost. Acts chapter 3, there's this crazy miracle of healing, and the church just continues to explode. Acts chapter 4, the church receives persecution. Peter and John go to jail, and the devil tries to stop the church by using persecution to come against them. Answer this question, yes or no. Did persecution stop the church? No. 
So the devil steps back and says, I got this church here. And I tried to use persecution from the outside to stop it, and it didn't work. So I guess I'll have to use something from the inside and see what that might do. Persecution from the outside wasn't working. So why don't I fill their hearts with some lies? Why don't I cause them to think in some ways that are unhealthy? Because if I can't destroy them from the outside, maybe I can get to them from the inside. Ananias, Satan has so filled your heart, he said. Friends, it's critical that we guard our hearts. Why? Go back to verse 4. Peter goes on to say, Ananias, didn't that land belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You've not lied just to human beings, but to God. That passage makes it clear. He didn't have to give it all. He could have kept some of it if he wanted to. It was his money. He could have given what he wanted, kept some if he wanted to. God wouldn't have been okay with that. But he tries to tell a lie. He tries to pull the wool over their eyes. He tries to make him seem like something he's not. And when Peter asks the question, what in the world, what made you think of doing such a thing? I think I know what the answer is. It's the third thing I want you to see. Number three, biblical truth from a story about lies. Number three, Pride goes before destruction. What motivated them? They wanted people to think a certain way about them. They wanted to have a certain status in the church. And they said to themselves, if we sell this money and tell people how awesome we are, even though we're not really that awesome, maybe people will think a certain way about us. They like Barnabas. Maybe they'll like us. We don't have to tell the whole truth. Let's just kind of make a story a little bit better so that people will think a certain way about us. They were motivated by pride, but scripture says this, that pride goes before destruction. Let me give you just a principle from God's word. Sometimes we want status. Sometimes we want people to think a certain way about us. And know this, status does not come without sacrifice. That's what they wanted. They wanted people to think a certain way about them, and they wanted to take the easy way out. But in God's economy, status does not come without sacrifice. Here's what scripture says, Proverbs 16, verse 18. Pride goes before destruction. A haughty spirit before a fall. Better to be lowly in spirit along with the oppressed than to share plunder with the proud. What did Ananias and Spira do? They wanted to share plunder with the proud and it led to their destruction. Which takes us to verse five. When Ananias heard this, Peter calls him out, right? Watch what happens next. Verse five. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. He died. Like, that's it. It's, I mean, he's dead. Scholars um, think that most likely, as, as Peter called him out, he went into some kind of state of shock. Physiologically, this can happen, had a heart attack and died. We don't know exactly what happened there. We just know this, that that was a moment of God's divine judgment on an act of sin, right? We see that there. And it says that when he died, great fear seized all who heard what had happened. You think? Right? Dude, dude just dropped dead in church. It would shake you up. And you have to ask the question, God, time out here for a minute. 
Could, couldn't you just have given him a detention? Right? Couldn't he just maybe have been fined or have to give the rest of the money or, you know, slap him with a 15% tithe? Something. Is there not something you could have done beyond death? Why, why was this necessary? Let me tell you this. Sometimes drastic times call for drastic measures. And there are certain moments, especially when God is starting something new, that he has to protect and preserve what he's doing. There's this interesting story when, when Elisha, the prophet, first was commissioned as a prophet. He's going out to do ministry right at the very beginning. This is in 2 Kings chapter 2. Watch what the story says. From there, Elisha went up to Bethel, and as he was walking along the road, some boys came out of the town and jeered at him. Get out of here, baldy, they said. Get out of here, baldy. Nice kids, aren't they, in that town? Elisha turned around, looked at them, and called down a curse on them in the name of the Lord. Then two bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of the boys. I think that's a funny story, just to be honest. <laughs> they had it coming. I dare you to say something about my hair. I dare you. Right? I just, I just think there are times when God says, I'm starting something new. I've got to make sure that things are understood here. Like I know, I know teachers who have told me that when they start a new school year with a new class, that they don't smile till Christmas because they want the kids to know that this is serious. Why, why would God do that in this situation? Go back to the text, verse 6, Acts chapter 5. Some young men came forward, wrapped up Ananias' body, and carried him out. And buried him. We, uh, hey, we got any guys going to be pallbearers in here? <laughs> These guys show up, and they buried this dude quick. Why did they bury him so quickly? Well, in part, you're in the Middle East, right? And in the Middle Eastern heat, you really don't want a body laying around. In fact, many people believe, scholars believe, that it was customary at that time in the city of Jerusalem that when someone died, they were to be buried within 24 hours. But I think this goes even deeper than this. Sometimes, and this was, this was the practice in that day and time, with sin there was no grieving. If someone had committed a crime or a despicable act, the people were not to grieve for them. This was not a matter of sympathy. He did this to himself. And as a part of kind of that, that corporate environment, the corporate learning in a moment like this, the idea was this isn't a time for sympathy. This is a time for dealing with this. We have to be serious about this. And for some of us, for some people, this is a really problematic passage of Scripture. Why would God do this? Why would he act in such a dramatic fashion? Let me, let me give you the fourth biblical truth from a story about lies. And just, just for the record, this is where I'm going to lose you. Right, I need, you to, I need you to kind of dial in and help me here for just a moment. I want you to see what happens here. Number four, Christ loves the church. Biblical truth from a story about lies, Christ loves the church. Look, look at this passage in Ephesians chapter 5 that tells us about Jesus. It, Paul writes, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Do you think Jesus loves the church? Absolutely he does because he gave his life for the church. And so the church is important to him. So in this situation, he knows, God knows, he has to respond with deliberate action. There's this interesting principle in the Old Testament. Look at this, Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 11. 
It says, when the sentence for a crime is not quickly carried out, people's hearts are filled with schemes to do wrong. Listen to this again. When the sentence for a crime is not quickly carried out, people's hearts are filled with schemes to do wrong. Isn't that true? That if you see somebody else get away with something, what do you think you can do? (laughs) I can get away with that too. If they did that, then I can do that. And then what happens is then that attitude spreads and it, and it causes chaos and destruction in whatever environment you're in. God looked at this situation and said, and this is, this is the first time you see this in the book of Acts about the church. He says, look at that, that sin that's coming into the church. It's deceit. It's, it's falsehood. That's going to be toxic. And if that gets into the church and Ananias gets away with it, then what's going to happen next? Who's going to do this next? People need to know that this is toxic and this is destructive. I cannot allow the church to be compromised at this time. Jesus loves his church too much to have let that sin affect the destiny of the people within it. Does that make sense? I was with some friends this week. I hadn't seen them in a long time. They got a little guy, first time I'd seen him, eight months old, first time parents. And I stand there talking with them. We were out kind of in a very public place where people are walking and coming and going. And we're standing there and all of a sudden, little guy just pops his pacifier out on the floor, right? And so I watch first-time parents. How much are they going to freak out? Right? Do you know what I mean? The time you get your second or third kid, that pacifier falls on the ground, you're like, they're all right. They'll be fine. What doesn't kill them makes them stronger. Right from the Bible. Right? You know? That's not in the Bible, by the way. That's not there. So what happens is I watch. Dad picks up the pacifier without freaking out at all. He picks up the pacifier, looks at it, hands it back to mom to give to the baby, and he goes, it'll be fine. I was like, I'm proud of this dad for not freaking out. Mom looks at him, and she goes, she looks at him, and she goes, not here he won't be. Have you seen this floor? I was proud of dad for not freaking out. I was proud of mom for not poisoning her kid, right? (laughs) Instead, she took a wipe out. She cleaned the whole thing off. She got it good before she gave it back to the child. She wasn't freaking out. She just knew this. I'm not going to force feed my child germs. Not in this place. I'm not going to let something go into his system at a little eight-month-old little guy who's still growing and developing. I love this child too much to do something that might make him sick. Does that make sense? Jesus looks at the infant church and says, I love her too much. I'm not going to let something get into her system that could make her sick and destroy her. I have to deal with this. The reason this story goes the route that it should go is because Jesus loves the church. Now, let me make it more personal. For some of you, as we talk about this today, the Holy Spirit's already starting to do something in your life. There's there's twinges of God's presence, his conviction, his stirring. And I gotta tell you, the reason that's there is not because God condemns you or God's mad at you, but because he loves you too much to not do that. Acts chapter 5, verse 7. This is kind of act 2 of the story. About three hours later, his wife Sapphira came in, not knowing what had happened. People started dying, and this story got real intense real fast, didn't it? And I knew that as I was preaching this, we would reach about this point in this sermon, and you would either be like, like pretty intense, like real quiet, or you'd be asleep. Like it would be one or the other, right? And so I said to myself, I probably should tell a joke right here. Like, I probably should stop for a minute, kind of wake you back up, kind of lighten the mood a little bit because people are dying. That's intense, right? Let's just do something just kind of funny to help us out. And so I started thinking, I should should come up with something funny to say here. I should look for a little joke. And I tried to think about something funny, look for something funny. And I I wrote like a little, I made up like a little joke. And I said to myself, I can't tell that. That's stupid. 
Like, that's just a dumb joke. And so I asked my family, I was like, should I tell that? And my daughter looked at me like, oh, you know, and I was like, I, so I've decided I'm not going to tell the joke today because it's just too dumb. But let me tell you what it is so that you can know how stupid it was. Like, get this. <laughs> Sapphira shows up, like she shows up at the church, and all of a sudden somebody goes, knock, knock. Who's there? Sapphira. Sapphira who? I wouldn't go in there, Sapphira, you. <laughs> oh, you see that? That's stupid. That's just dumb. I'm not telling that. I, I got, I got self-respect. I'm not telling that joke. Somehow she didn't know. Like she didn't know what she was walking into. Why? I mean, they weren't really grieving him, right? They took care of business really quick. Why was it that she showed up at the church, didn't know what was going on? Like was, was Ananias an 815 guy and Sapphira went to 1145? I don't know. Like, I don't know, but she walked in. She didn't know what was coming. One quick observation here. Let me give you a fifth thing. This is kind of biblical truth from a story about lies. Number five, be careful who your friends are. It's important who you associate yourself with, who, who you commit yourself to do things with. We don't know whose idea it was. Did Ananias dream this thing up? Was it Sapphira's idea to hold on to the money? We just know this. Once they joined together in this thing, they had committed, and that commitment was deadly. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. So be careful who you're friends with. And then realize this, maybe even more importantly, your character affects those around you. The choice that Ananias made is now about to have consequences in his wife's life. I don't know if they had kids, but they're about to be orphans if they did. One decision that he made had a ripple effect in his family, in his community, in his church. Who you are affects your coworkers. The decisions you make have an impact on your spouse. Your kids will either be blessed or not blessed because of the things that you will do. As I thought about this, I, I don't know in particular, I just, dads, I thought of us. We, we, the scripture says, set the tone for our homes and families. Your character will affect those around you. Be careful who your friends are. Be careful who you are. Let's go back to our story. Acts chapter five, verse, verse eight. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Y yes, she said. That's the price. Come on, girl. Are you kidding me? Right? She gets a chance here, right? Peter gives her a chance to come clean. He doesn't start with and zap her, right? Where does he start? He starts with, hey, Sapphira, help me out here. Ananias was here earlier, and he was, he was dying to get out of here. But Ananias was here earlier, and when he was, sorry, and when he was, he said, this is the price you got for the land. Is that true? This was her chance. This, this was her moment to confess and come clean. Notice that Peter doesn't start with judgment. He starts with an opportunity for grace and repentance. I think that's really important here because isn't that how God deals with us? Six things, six biblical truths from a story about lies. If we confess our sins, dot, dot, dot. Look, she had a moment right there. 
She had an opportunity for grace. She could have confessed her sins. She could have said, look, this is what's going on. And I'm so thankful for this biblical truth. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. I love that verse, don't you? I mean, that verse has been life to me. In times when I know I've messed up, in times when I've made bad decisions, in times when I've felt condemnation from the enemy, I've been reminded that if we'll confess our sins, if I'll own up, if I'll fess up, if I'll say, God, I know that I messed up here, he is faithful and just and he'll forgive us our sins and he'll cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I, I, back in March, I preached a message and I don't, I don't even remember the context, but I said something in the message about the fact that I'm a horrible golfer. I was not a good golfer. And so as a result... I just, I just don't play. I don't like to play. A friend of mine came up to me afterwards, and he said, look, I'm actually a pretty decent golfer, and I feel like I'm a pretty patient teacher. If, if you want to go out, let's, let's go out, and I, I, I'm pretty sure I can help you. I'm like, all right, yeah, you're my friend. Sounds fun. Let's go. So we went out, and it was a slow day. There was, like, nobody else out on this part of the course, and we get out there, and so we drive out to the, you know, the first uh, tee, and we're, we're out there, and so he, he hits the ball and knocks it, like, to Pennsylvania or something. I mean, it was just gone, and, and then I'm up, and I, and I hit the thing, and when he saw what kind of golfer I actually am, he grew in his prayer life. He was asking the Lord for deliverance in that moment, right? This is bad. I'm bad. I don't think he saw it coming. So we went to, like, get back in the the cart, and he's, whoa, 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 just stop, just stop for a minute. He says, you know, I think I can help you. Why don't you try that again? We're, we're not holding any butt. There's, there's nothing going on out here. You're not good. Why don't you try that again? It was grace for me, right? Because in that moment, my friend said, I can give you a second chance. That's the whole story of what Jesus has done for us, isn't it? He paid the price. He died on the cross so that our sins, the price of our sins could be paid. We could be forgiven. We have a second chance. The reason Sapphira didn't get it is because she didn't take it. Some of you, the Holy Spirit's speaking to your heart right now about something that's going on in your mind or in your life or in your actions or your relationship, somewhere, and it's saying, you got a chance here. That forgiveness is available. Verse 9, Acts chapter 5, Peter goes on and says this. Peter said to her, how, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. That's a busy crew of morticians, isn't it? Why her too? That language there. Peter says, you, you listen to this, you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord. And I thought about that. What does that mean? Conspire to test the spirit of the Lord. And this, this, is, this is what I found. You will literally allow your sin to push you to a place where you would mistreat the Holy Spirit. Let me read that again. You would literally allow your sin, your, your desires, your affections, your temptation, your choices to push you to a place where you would mistreat the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. And when I say that, I'm convinced that somebody in this room or watching on a screen somewhere, you're sensing some conviction in this moment. You know how I know that? Because I am. I typed that into my notes, and I just felt sick in the pit of my stomach. Because I know there have been times when the Holy Spirit has, has prodded me 
and encouraged me, spoke to me, and I still chose to do what I wanted to do anyways. And it's not just me, it's you too. It's your greed, your pride, your lust, your fear, your rebellion, your gluttony, your drunkenness, your laziness, your doubt, your anger, your lies. I don't think I left anybody out, did I? What do you do when the Holy Spirit starts speaking to you? When the Holy Spirit starts saying, Chad, you sure that's right? Number seven, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Number seven, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. There will be times when the Spirit of God will come. Oftentimes, it's, 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 it's just in your heart, maybe even a whisper. He'll kind of say to you, are you, are you sure that's the right thing? Are, are you sure that's, that's how you want to be? Are you sure that's the choice you should make? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, Paul says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Have you ever, have you ever watched somebody, and whether you've, you've told them or not, they make a decision that you know is the wrong decision? You're like, hey, you, you sure you want to do that? And then you watch them, and they, they, they spend that money, or they date that person, or they go to that place, or they start that thing, and you, you're just kind of step back, and, and it bothers you. It grieves you, and you wish that you could help them and stop them, but you can't because they're making those decisions. How many times do we do that to the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit speaks to us, and we go in the direction we want to go, and it grieves God's Spirit? Here's my question. Are you pushing God to see just how much you can get away with? Just how far can I go? Can I bend the rules without breaking them? Can I be buzzed without being blitzed? Can I flirt without being unfaithful? How close can I get right to the edge before I fall over? You know, that's, that's what happens all the time in the national parks. You read that, right? Every summer, people die in the national parks because they go past the boundary. Like there's a, there's a fence or there's a rope or there's some line that says, hey, don't go past here. And what do people say? Yeah, but I, I, wanna, I wanna get just a little bit closer. That's for someone else. That's not for me. And they cross that boundary and they get right up to the edge and they don't realize that the foundation is unstable and the environment is unpredictable and the outcome's gonna be destructive because you just wanna get just a little bit closer and then you find yourself in a place where, where well, it's deadly. It's destructive to you and your home and your family. And for some of you, the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart. Get this, I think this is important. We're just working our way through the book of Acts, Right? I didn't wake up one morning and go, you know what would be fun? Let's preach Ananias and Sapphira. In fact, I know six people in the 1145 service who probably need to hear this. I, I didn't line this up. This is God's word and God's Holy Spirit speaking to our hearts. So if God's speaking to you, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Here's why. Last verse, Acts chapter 5, verse 10. At that moment, Sapphira fell down at his feet. Look at this. This is funny kind of... Um, where did they take the gifts? It says they would take them and place them at the apostles. Kind of ironic, isn't it? At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. And then the young men came in and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Not every story in the Bible has a happy ending, does it? Number eight. Biblical truth from a story about lies. 
your sin will find you out. I said that in the first service this morning. I said, your sin will find you out. And some woman goes, amen. And I was like, sister, you say amen, but I go, oh, no. Because <laughs> I, got, I got things. You've got things. There's places where I go, I don't want my sin to find me out. Numbers chapter 32, verse 23. But if you fail to do this, you will be sinning against the Lord, and you may be sure that your sin will find you out. Some of us right now, we're going, man, I know there's stuff in me, in my mind, in my heart, in my past. Some of you are actually quite terrified right now. And it's good for us to do an evaluation and say, what's inside of me that if it came out of me, if it caught up to me, would be destructive to me? There was a truck. It was interesting. I read this story this week. There was a truck that, that spilled its cargo on a highway in Louisiana this week. Its cargo, when it spilled it, was loaded almost exclusively with roofing nails. People said it was like confetti all over the lanes of this highway. It took them four hours to clean it up. This is a destructive thing. Some of the cars that, that had to wait, they had it better off than the car that, that drove through it, went to the tire shop, had 10 nails in one tire, 14 in the other. You, say, you know what you say about that truck driver? Nailed it, right? I mean, isn't that what, <laughs> and then what happened there? Look at this. If what's inside of you ends up coming out in a way that's destructive, the ramifications of it, God knew this, and he said this to Cain, very beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapter 4, verse 7. He says this to, to Cain, Adam and Eve's son. If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. I told you a couple weeks ago, we have a 10-year-old, 80-pound golden doodle named Samson. I love that dog. That dog's one of my best friends. No offense to any of you, but I, I love that dog. We also have a six-month-old, seven-pound kitten who also loves that dog. We have a sliding glass door that's in the back of our house, and so if Samson needs to go out, I just open the door, and the dog goes out, and the cat just kind of waits and watches and knows that Samson's out there. And when, when she knows that I'm going to open the door to let the dog back in, the cat will go, and there's a curtain that hangs right by the big window that's there. The cat will go and hide behind the curtain and wait for the dog to come in. She crouches at the door. Seven-pound kitten, 80-pound dog. Dog comes in. The cat will jump out from the kitten and just swat at his head. Like, she'll get on the, on the chair that's underneath the kitchen table. He'll go by, and she just jumps out at him and just starts swatting and going at him. And he looks up at me, and he just kind of gives me this look like, I hate that cat. I hate that cat. Why does she do that? There's no chance she's going to take this guy down. Seven pounds, 80 pounds, seasoned dog, little cat. The cat does it because it's just in her nature, right? She just gets down there, and she crouches. She waits. She's going to get him. It's cute when it's a kitten. It's a good thing we don't have a lion, isn't it? Because that's in their nature, right? To do that. Peter writes in his epistle and says, your enemy, the devil, is like a roaring lion just roaming around 
looking for someone to devour. Sin is crouching at your door. Some of you need to hear this in capital letters today. And it's waiting for you. It wants to have you. Some of you, maybe you just see your life's going in a direction it shouldn't. Others of you, you're just about to make a decision that could be destructive. And you need to know this. Sin is crouching at your door. And if you're not careful, your sin will find you out. And when it does, it could be deadly. That's a great way to end a service, isn't it? It would be horrible. If we hadn't already had the whole answer, your sin will find you out. But if you confess your sins, he's faithful and he's just and he'll cleanse you of your sins and he'll free you from those things. How do I know this? Romans chapter 6, verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Here's the deal. For some of you today, the most important thing that you could say is, I need grace. I need God's grace. Maybe, maybe you've gone down a road that you wish you'd never gone down. And maybe you've never known God's forgiveness. Maybe you've never known him as your Lord and as your Savior. And you need to start there today and have what Jesus did on the cross, pay that price for your sins and give you that opportunity to start over. Others of you might be looking down a road that you know could lead to destruction. All I know is that today for some of us, the word that's coming to you, just like Peter looked at Sapphira and said, Sapphira, is is what you're telling me right? Some of you, the Holy Spirit is looking into your heart right now and saying, are you sure that you're right? Are are you sure this is the direction you want to go? Are you sure this is the person you want to be? Are you sure this is the thing you want to do? Because you don't have to go down that road. You can come to me and receive mercy and receive hope and receive help. You just need to say, God, I need grace. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. I'm just about done. But without moving around, without distracting the people around you whether you're here in this room or you're watching on a screen somewhere would you just take a moment to see if the Holy Spirit's speaking to your heart about an attitude about an action about something that you've given your affections to about some way in which you've you've told yourself one thing when the truth is actually something different And if today in this moment, you know the Holy Spirit's speaking to your heart, as I lead us in this prayer, would you just ask God for his grace? Lord, thanks for your word. Your word that's not always easy, but is always true. It always brings life. Father, you know that some of us, your spirit's speaking so clearly to right now. Maybe about things in our past. Maybe about things in our present. Maybe about things in our future. God, we need to look to you. We confess our sins to you. We ask you today for your grace. Jesus, I pray that as we go through this week, would you help us to hear your Spirit's voice and to totally surrender ourselves to your best for our lives. As we go from here, we ask that you'd go with us. Lord, would you send us out with your special favor? 
with your wonderful peace. In Jesus' name, amen.